0: This show is a part of the FM Podcast Network, the home of great music podcasts. Visit us at fmpods.com. You are listening to the Dylan Taunts Podcast.
1: Welcome to Dylan and another segment of What Is It About Bob Dylan? I'm Erin Callahan and I'm sitting here with the esteemed Harold Lapidus. Uh, Harold is the author of Friends and Other Strangers, Bob Dylan Examined, a panelist uh, at the World of Dylan in 2019, where he talked about Bob Dylan, Street Legal and the Ghost of Elvis, and an invited guest at the pre-grand opening ceremonies at the Bob Dylan Center in 2022. And he also hosts... The Boston Herald podcast. Welcome.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for agreeing to do this. This is fantastic. All right, so we always start with the question what is it about Bob Dylan?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, for me, uh, you know, it's one of the, like Bob Dylan himself who can name the multitudes. Um, There are many aspects, but the the basic thing aside from the, you know, listening to his music and, and, and feeling it, is that it helps me think differently, as um, as the ad goes. Uh, he he made so many artistic left turns that even I joined it late. But uh, it, it's like, why are you doing this? <laughs> and um, and eventually, it all made sense, or you know, or enough or at least maybe question everything, including Bob Dylan, as well as the world and everything, the news, everything. And uh, uh, it continues to happen and I still get, um, uh, you know, not sidetracked, uh, yeah, whatever. But I, you know, like when I heard Murder Moss Foul, I wouldn't, I didn't say go, wow, I get this. <laughs> you know, it's, it just, it's the type of thing where it just took a while And i was patient and eventually um it made more and more sense and now you know i i I think it's brilliant
1: and i think that um there are a few things i think he that's such a fitting tribute that he encourages you to see the world through a different lens and so how beautiful um but also that you have to be patient with dylan and that was such a lovely point to make that um you don't get everything right away and you're not supposed to i mean We're in, you know, 60 odd years into his career and we're still debating certain aspects of it. So I love that. And I just want to say, if you hear any background noise, we are currently at the world of Dylan 2023 and there are people outside this room. So apologies for the distractions. So in that vein, um, I was going to ask what was your entry point to Dylan or how did you come to Dylan? And then that follow up because you're a writer. Um, and how did, you know, seeing Dylan through, or seeing the world through a different lens because of Dylan, how did that influence your own writing? So where, how did you come in and then how does it help you do what you do?
0: Do you want the long answer or the really long answer? I <laughs> want whatever, <laughs> your,
1: whatever you want to share.
0: Okay, well, um, uh, you know, I was, um, yeah. So like when I was five years old is when the Beatles were on at Solvent I didn't see them, but I became a Beatles fan, mm-hmm. uh, and then the monkeys and the Beatles and everything, and uh, uh, then yeah, the, then uh, 1969, um, I got a transistor radio, and I, I, it opened an entire world, and it, it, like I would, I got a dollar a week allowance, and I would buy 45s and uh, got a, a grown-up record player. It was everything from like the Temptations and signed the Family Stone to. Uh, Johnny Cash, to Glenn Campbell, to honky tonk women, to Plastic Ono Band—it's like w- whatever, uh, whatever I liked. I mean, I uh, and um, and it opened up the the world, and it's one of those things that made me very happy in the world. And then there are two people I didn't get icons: Elvis Presley within the ghetto, and Bob Dylan with "Lady, Lay. I mean, I'd look, I'd see it somehow. Must have seen Elvis in Jailhouse Rock or something, and now you're in the ghetto, and it's like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what is this? And Lay Lady Lay, and you look at the cover of Blonde on Blonde, and it's like, well, what is this? Although I'll give my sister credit; she's two and a half years younger, but she bought the Lay Lady Lay single. She's the first person in the house enough mm-hmm. to to, to ever buy a Bob Dylan record, all right, for themselves. Um, but I had a friend, uh, Danny, uh, uh, who I'd known since like what we would call preschool or mm-hmm. nursery school or whatever they used to call it. And, um, he, he had a, uh, we were next door our neighbors, then we moved far, a little bit apart, you know, different towns, but we stayed in touch and, uh, he had, uh, his family had a, an au pair and when the old pair left and went back to England, she left her monocopy of bringing it all back home. And my friend Danny said, this is great. You know, he, he loved it. And I would look at it and like even I just looked at it, it's like I don't care like the Beatles to me there's before the Beatles, the Beatles and after the Beatles. Like Beatles were everything. They were they were the you know, and the monkeys were pretty close. Mm-hmm. And um and you know, I was not gonna like it. I mean I knew it was important, but I didn't get it. I and I didn't know exactly uh you know, you know
1: You didn't know why. You didn't like laugh.
0: you know you have long straight hair down, you don't have curly hair up. Even <laughs> though I hadn't used to have curly hair up. Um and um so uh he kept on going at it and then when i was 13 he got he convinced his parents to get me greatest hits volume two on vinyl and it was after the concert for Bangladesh. so i was i really wanted to learn about this guy because i remember after the day after the concert for Bangladesh, and the paper had a big picture of bob with two Beatles on either side, and George calls them the economy class Beatles, and um, it's like Bob was the news, it's like one, one Bob is worth more than two Beatles, like, you know, so Mm. getting more and more excited, and uh, so uh, I remember I put the record on, and side one was like a Beatles record, it was like four voices, four types of music, and you know, it it was a superficial thing, but I was like, well, he's cool, I don't know if I get it, but anyhow, that happened, and right. I just kept on buying whatever came out, you know, Pat, Gary, and Billy the Kid, and that uh, Dylan out with Lily of the West. And uh, my friend Danny, when I had a, we weren't, like, friends instance, in 72, in for my birthday, you so saw Grand I when my father brought me and Danny I we went to see Emma second Palmer the next December, you know, I brought Danny. Um, so when I saw a big, full page in the Sunday New York Times, arts and leisure section, you know, very, um, uh, uh, Minimalist. I uh, just said Bob Dylan slashed the band, and it was mostly white in the band. I said two days at the Nassau Coliseum. I'm from New York, and three mm-hmm. in Nassau um, uh, Square Garden. And I said I can't possibly ask for tickets because you know <laughs> I don't even know if I, I don't even know if I like them. You know, not that I didn't like them. I didn't get them certainly. Right. And I suddenly was it wasn't like you know a deal or something. And um, and it was a mail order lottery thing. And is um, and then. Danny's friend's sister somehow had an extra ticket, and he said, um, you know, can my friend Harold have it? And it's like, and I was so excited, and um, then I you know, got bl- uh, Planet Ways before the show, and it just completely blew my mind, as I used to say. And uh, like, like, I could, like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, and, we're, and you can hardly see it. we're on the other end of the NASA Coliseum, uh, and I felt I felt actually unworthy of going because I didn't know enough. and my so, And so my friend, yeah, you know, he was uh, uh, um, there was my friend Danny, his friend Steve Kessler and his older sister, Sharon, who was in the front seat. And they're talking about things like, you know, great white Wonder, and I don't know what they're talking about, and they're saying, well, I hope he does "Rainy Day Women" and it's like well, I don't know about that, but I that there's that song called uh, "Everybody Must Get Stoned." I hope he does that. Like I like I knew nothing, right? And I may have not even heard like a Rolling Stone before the show, mm-hmm. and it just it, everything was just so cool. Like they came out and they it was very subversive. They came out and tuned their guitars. There's the the stu- like they had like a lamp and a couch. Like I remember, like Palmer had a drum that went in the air and turned around, mm-hmm. and um. uh they tuned their guitars. It, 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 my memory is that the guitars are much more loud and crackling than any recording I've heard, and it could just be my imagination. But, um, uh, you know, they did, most likely you'll go your way, I'll go mine, which I read about, but I hadn't heard it before. Mm-hmm. And they did Lay, Lady, Lay, really fast and loud. And it, it's like, like, like it was like, like this is it, <laughs> it's a come <Kempta> to Bob moment. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it, kept on, it, it kept on getting better and better, and, like, it, and then the band came on, I mean, they were backing Dylan, mm-hmm. they did their set, and um, and actually, uh, like, I didn't know till the Sunday before the show when I was listening to a radio program that they did The Night They drove Old Dixie Down. Like, I thought it was a John Baia song. I mean, I mean, it was right. a John Baya song. But um, I didn't know, I looked at my single, it's like, oh, J.R. Robertson must be R for Rob. And they had a, a unique sound. And I, I bought Moondog Matinee because I didn't think, I don't know if I would like them because they seemed like they were time travelers from the Civil War. And uh, it's like, a, a, you know, I couldn't believe that a synthesizer. It seemed like sacrilege. I mean, how they have right. such, such a modern instrument. And so they were great. They were great. They started off with stage fright, which was even, which, which it's supposedly not about Dylan, but Dylan hadn't toured for eight years. And um, so uh, doing stage fright which I only seen the album cover stage fright so I knew it was the song and it was like there's all this mythical stuff that I don't know if anyone has this anymore but rock stars and musicians that they were just more mysterious back then
1: there's also like that what you're kind of describing is that religious experience that people are spiritual you know connection that we have Mm -hmm. in that moment it's what Paul Williams explains about that ephemeral moment with Dylan and I think a lot of us who love him have had that experience. Of, I mean, my youth, I used to be like, it's like going to big church, Right. <laughs> you yeah. know? That, that's how I felt about it.
0: Yeah, because I remember growing up, I mean, it, uh, I would say that first happened to me with the Beatles, like mm-hmm. you're looking around in those days and people still had like crew cuts and it's just like, it, it was just, everything seemed like black and white and cold and it was, you know, post Kennedy and all that sort of stuff. And the Beatles come around and it's like, youth and vitality and fun and mm-hmm. like i remember i loved the beatles before i had the record well the, the only thing that they could do is let me down you know what i mean it's, I, I already love them right what do they sound like <laughs> and <laughs> then um no so, pressure no pressure <laughs> and then yes and, and going and but getting back the dylan thing a bit um you know and then he did the acoustic set with just a guitar It was a, a, a real acoustic guitar not the ones they have now where they plug in right and he was doing those songs really fast and yeah yeah, you know, basically like guitar, bass, rock and roll, mm-hmm. occasional acoustic, occasional piano, you know, guitars you know, you know, okay. for the Beatles, but, um, <laughs> uh, but it did that opened that whole genre too, in a way that, um, uh, that, uh, in, you know, just like the whole, you know, that doesn't open the world as a, as a, um, whole, uh, other kind of genre within popular music and led me to here talking to you right now. What
1: a great experience. And how has it influenced your writing? You know, your your relationship, your fandom, um, your experiences with Dylan.
0: Um, well, what I... Uh, what I wanted to do ever since I... Like, I do have a degree in journalism, mm-hmm. and I'm um, bachelor of arts degree, and I... Uh, but when I wanted i read a lot of stuff it's cream magazine and my father used to be cream magazine circus Hit parader cry daddy you know every month or whatever and Mm -hmm. i you know read whatever i thought that was interesting and so that that's my that's my literary references (laughs) and (laughs) those um, are great and uh but when when i started writing i uh and found my voice, I realized I didn't really want to be negative. I didn't want to be particularly fanboyish either. But it's Mm -hmm. like, as I'm understanding things and, uh, and, uh, like you get a new Dylan album or other people, uh, it's like, what is he doing? What does this mean? Why, you know, if I, 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 I I want to explore it and share it. Mm -hmm. Um, and what happens now, Usually, thanks to all these circumstances, uh, often they'll they'll let me have access to an album two weeks before it comes out, and you have and that's all I listen to whenever it chance for two weeks, and I have to figure out and come up with what there's an embargo, and so you can't tell uh, uh, you know Friday whatever at midnight right. uh, you can't post it, so whatever I'm doing is going to be my opinion. No one can say. Well, you read it there, and you stole that idea. So I, I try to come up with something unique, mm-hmm. and um, and it's like anything. You just you, it's like and the pressure's on, and and it's a privilege, mm-hmm. and uh, I know people are particularly waiting for it. But they when they hopefully when they read it, they're not disappointed. And I uh, um, like for instance on um, when Rough and Rowdy Ways came out, or before it came out, uh, I'm listening, yeah, I'm listening to all the songs, trying to figure it out, and there was a song. Uh, um, my own version of you and th- yeah and uh <laughs> she just she just put her hand on yeah my <laughs> there's no video <laughs> the with no this video but ahead. i did I, I put my hand on my chest like oh <laughs>
1: love that song
0: um and and then when i it just hit me like he's talking you know we everything i'm saying is my opinion i don't of know course. what bob thinks i don't want to say that you know he never answered my phone calls who would presume to know <laughs> what bob thinks, right? Yeah. So, um, and, and I thought, like, well, he's talking about his own uh, artistic process. Mm-hmm. And I heard pe- other people say it here, And I was, I'm not saying people got it from me. Maybe they did. Maybe they did. And I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. Because, uh, but I am saying that no one said it before me. Like, I, I, I can prove, you know. And um, I take pride in whenever I come up with any of those ideas like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, uh, I'm i not, you know, I, I not very good at hanging up pictures on a wall but i but i can you know i don't, I don't vacuum enough but um uh, i can uh certainly listen to bob dylan and uh um uh think about it and think about it over years and years and years of uh practice and uh and uh, come up with hopefully something
1: that's one one of the things and i appreciate you sharing that one of the things i love about dylan studies is that by and large, we all want to just have a conversation and suss this stuff out, and, you know, we did on our panel that we just had. But we're all very positive and supportive of each other, mm-hmm. and you know, I think when we question each other, it's not questioning in an aggressive way. Mm-hmm. Um, we're questioning because it's sort of like, oh, that's an interesting perspective, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I love that you took that approach—that you don't want to be negative and you don't want to be. Fanboyish, yeah, right. <laughs> um, because that comes off as disingenuous, and I, I, I've always enjoyed everything I've read of yours. And I'm not saying that to be fangirlish. I'm not standing on you, but um, I definitely I, I think you have an interesting perspective, and there's just uh, you, you give us a lovely space for those opinions. So I, I appreciate yeah,
0: that. I try to make it's like this is this is what I think. That's mm-hmm. all it is. It's right. Like, I think this this and, and yeah, you know, people come in from from different angles. They have different. Perspectives and they have different uh, prejudices and everything, and like I, I talked about uh, Dylan and the Dead album uh, here at the at the center, and uh, because there are so many people that hate that whole thing, and I don't, I, and you don't, you can hate it all you want it's like, but it's like to say that it, it it's a mistake, uh, like I, I like, you know, it's funny because you know that you know Bruce Springsteen said Bob Dylan open, open your mind, mm-hmm. and it's like. Not completely, or <laughs> in some cases, and it's like it, it's it's like open your mind. It's almost like if Bob Dylan, it's like this is awful. I'm gonna figure it out. That right. right. Don't
1: criticize what you can't understand. Th- <laughs> that that did you cool? just think of that? No, <laughs> I
0: mean, I'm not gonna
1: yawn under that. You might have to edit that out.
0: Um,
1: but no, I. Wait, but, he's you, not a
0: Rolling Stone anymore.
1: No, he's not. Um, but all right, so I want to because we. I'll just sit here and listen to you talk, but I want to. There are things that I want to know. So mm. the list of people you've interviewed is impressive. Mm. Um, and so, what was your favorite interview and why? And then, how do you decide who you're going to interview? That's um, a lot of questions
0: all at once. Well, if I, if I look confused, you can say. And what was that other part? Um, so uh, the way uh, I will answer that, there's uh, these aren't particularly Dylan related. Uh, Interviews, but there there are basically two. They're people that I know or kind of know, either in real life or virtually, or mm-hmm. and then there's just like other another, yeah, the another promo person, the whatever, uh, uh, sets something up, and it's a it's a cold interview, and the person doesn't know who you are, and when it's over, it's over, over, over and you Right. <clears throat> so uh, so the my but but these two interviews that I'm thinking of it changed the trajectory of my life to a certain extent. Oh, so cool. um, I became a fan of Robin Hitchcock. 1980 I read about him in Trouser Press I went to um, England in 1981 he just is the only gig he did in that era mm-hmm. and you know it, it was you know it, it blew me away similarly not as much as the Dylan the band thing but it was it, I saw everybody that I saw the Clash and the Jam and the Elvis Costello but the soft boys when, thats amazing. Like, <laughs> Well, when you're older you know as you mentioned almost everybody was older than the um are younger than their traveling Wilburys in Europe.
1: No, they're <laughs> younger than everybody, I think, almost in that room, except yeah. for Roy Orbison. Yeah, yeah. And even yeah. some folks were older than Roy Orbison at 52. Okay, yeah. He's, Harold's pointing to himself. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm, all, I'm older, I'm older. Last night at, um so did you go to that Robbie, folks? I didn't. So at one point, he did a song from Street Legal, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, we year did it come out? And the guy behind me is going 1977. I'm going, 1978, and he goes, Thank you, old white guy over sixty, or something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you, starting to get But we're trying to broaden and right, 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 the right, right. I, I
0: finally get somewhere, and it's like I'm like I'm I'm being marginalized. Oh, not really. I'm just kidding. All right. All right. So, I'm, I'm,
1: Robin Hitchcock was one of my right, favorite. So, right, why? So,
0: and so uh, it took me thirty, almost literally thirty-three and a third years to get an interview from that show. And uh, we like he he knew who I was, but he didn't know. Who I was, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so we did the interview. So we got to know each other. Um, then uh, I went to see him and his, uh, his current wife. I think they were. Uh, I didn't know, and I didn't even know they were. And I It was the opening act, mm-hmm. and so I contacted. Oh, Emma and Swift. Yeah, 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 So uh, he, uh, I contacted him as like, oh, I'd like to her. and you and know, I'm seeing you tomorrow, and let's trying to figure this out, and because um, you know, a lot of modern music, I cannot. Um, I can, I don't get it, but she was very traditional, and, and so, uh, she started singing this song, Bittersweet, and I thought, know, yeah, it's a good song, and, uh, she's an unknown, she needs my help, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I didn't know anything about, it until I, by the time the interview happened, and obviously there were a couple, but I didn't mm-hmm. know that when I started the no, song. she's great. Yeah, and, um, so I interviewed her, and that led to something, uh, to a dialogue between us, and then, um, uh, Then he he did that. Robin Hitchcock, for whatever reason, was in Somerville on March 3rd, 2017, which was his 64th birthday. And Al Cooper lives in the area. Mm -hmm. And I contacted Al Cooper, and I said, you know, and they played together briefly at Newport. It's like, you know, I just said, he's playing in in Somerville. And he said, well, let me know when Soundcheck is. And I let Robin know. And he didn't even think, he just wanted to be on the guest list. I was like, you mean he wants to play? And so, uh, so the whole thing, it, it's like, I will never top this musically, so.
1: That's awesome, so, it's, it's one of those moments Yeah,
0: yeah I, I was sitting there the whole time with my mouth, I'm like, because not only was it amazing, but the music was amazing. So mm-hmm. he said, so he did three songs, he did a Half Hour of Blonde on Blonde with Al Cooper on organ. And, um, and Emma came out and sang one of the songs. envisioned of Johanna, which is his favorite song, Just Like a Woman, and they did Set would Lady. And um, oh, goodness. so it was, uh, I never really, I haven't really spoken to him about it. And I don't know all the details about how it all went down or whatever, but it was like, you know, that, that, cause if I didn't interview him, he wouldn't have known who I was. I wouldn't have gone and seen them. Uh, and I wouldn't have contacted Al Cooper, and then none of that would happen. So that, right. so that, that's something that, and, 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 and we are, um, uh, in, you know, whenever, you know, I don't want to go. Too much about him but um he he you know he will always say hello to me and like you know, and, you know blah 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 <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to embarrass him he's british you know but um uh, uh uh and the other one was it was a cold interview set up which is yorma kaukinen of Jefferson airplane and hot tuna hot okay. tuna was like my band in the mid 70s okay. my, like my sort of secret band that no one really understood that we'll go see him at the uh, Long Island, they had uh, changed his name every year. Went to that show. Well, like, I went three in the afternoon to stand in line. It was General Admission, all these older hippies around and him play guitar and uh, you know it, it, it did, it was, at that point they were really loud rock band. They were like 10-15 minutes solos and I was just totally into it. And, all right. and then so like, so there was a we've been trying to get this interview going and then it's like canceled and moved and then it's like and then all of a sudden it's like it's, like, it's tomorrow. And ended at six, and I already had another one scheduled at seven, so I did this interview, and I and I purposely did not ask him about Woodstock, Altamont, Monterey, Jazz, Chaplin, or Gert Jagger, yeah, yeah, which, he, which is you know, and I, I talked about what he was up to, but mm-hmm. I knew, and yeah, towards and like he, you can tell because he always, I see his interviews, and so he's like, he yeah, gets the same answers. That I don't, right. I want to get something that adds to the dialogue. And at the end, he's saying he has a, a, a fur piece ranch in Ohio where he gives lessons and stuff he says if, if you're ever here i will give you a tour and at the end he says i'm playing in boston i want you to be my guest and i was like you know it's so really so, cool. so that and then that but but besides that i mean mm-hmm. i don't know how coming across here but but what it led to was me like i don't have all his albums i don't know i only had a hand i made mean, i have some of his albums but right. I'm, not, I'm going getting the quadraphonic version of this and I'm getting the, you know, the, if I had on CD, I got on vinyl, You're I'm stunning. getting, right. right. <laughs> so I, I got, I've got the last missing piece. Uh, I just got, it, it was like something that was only on CD for a while and I had it on vinyl, but a bonus track. So, um, so, that, so I listened to that over and over again and I've seen them a bunch of times Went the Carnegie hall, uh, for the hot tuna concert, Larry mm-hmm. Campbell and Teresa were there. So it's that, you know, it's anything, it, anything that brightens your life like that. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it's worth worth
0: talking about well well, yeah so um i don't know (laughs) it's weird we We got sidetracked yeah it's weird talking about myself but anyway so those those two those are you know i had had a ton of interviews with people. but if i start going on and on i'll leave people out and I'll feel badly all right
1: so
0: those uh, are the top two those are those are the two that changed my life and where when how i uh perceive music and, and so on so
1: that's great all right, so who's someone you haven't interviewed that you would like to, and why that person? And I assumed it would be Dylan, and Harold shot back in the interview, would I want to, or in, the, in our emails, would I want to interview Dylan? <laughs> and so talk to me about that a little bit.
0: Um, I mean, if his office called me, like let's say I, I put up something about this sender and the, and right. the, the, the um, not the sender, the, the switchyard, right? Right. And um, uh, the conference, and, Jeff Rosen or whoever contacts me and said, you know, Bob would really like to do an interview. That's Bob talking. but um, uh, Bob Jeff, is Jeff Rosen. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> there is no Jeff Rosen. Um, uh, would I turn it down? Absolutely not. But um, I don't even think it's a possibility. I think right. also um, uh, like Jeff Slate just did an interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't ask him, but I have a feeling when he does interviews now, they're all like they're not in person.
1: I feel like the questions, he gets the questions ahead of time. Yeah. yeah. Right.
0: So and and they're brilliantly answered. And, but yeah, um, you know, again, Bob, Bob, if you're there, if you want to interview me, I'm not saying I won't do it. But it's not something that it's something. It, yeah, it's not to, not to mention the fact the pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I know that,
1: the the pressure, and I always think like, what would you ask Bob Dylan? Right. And you were just saying uh, about Hot Tuna, like they've they've heard all the questions, right. so they don't want to be asked the same things over and over again. And I'm like. What would I ask? Would I ask like, where the best fishing is in
0: Minnesota, right. or like, what was the best Yankees team? Right. I know someone who, uh, 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 Cindy is her name. She's um, uh, she was a Boston DJ and she's on PBS and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, when I gave a talk about the uh, my book, uh, she talked. She said she met him at the backstage of a Tom Petty concert at Madison Square Garden, and asked, he asked me, uh, "What do you do?" I am going to DJ, and I believe what he said was, "You know what I miss." Local radio stations. That's cool. And, and it's like you know, the, with the individual flavor. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't ask him. I don't think I'd ask him about him at all. I would just ask him about stuff, uh, not politics.
1: Right. Just,
0: no. You know. Um, you know. And I, you know. you, know, you would if if
1: You, 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 you have connections. You
0: can set it up, right? No, I have no connections. <laughs> not even a little bit. Um,
1: but yeah, there's just a. So is there any anyone else that you would? like to interview
0: yeah there's a there's a few again not not particularly uh dylan related there's um uh pete townsend would be one because i i could ask him He has a memoir and a lot of other things out and i have plenty of things to ask him about that don't get covered i think you that you would open up about that right um elvis Costello, i could talk to him about dylan within Mm -hmm. within reason obviously they 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 protect his privacy um and uh, the other one that comes to mind is uh, David Bromberg because I, uh, he he tells all these stories but I don't think people know them so um, I don't know it wouldn't be necessarily new information from David Bromberg but it would be new to most people from playing you know, uh, you know his old Columbia Records contract was weird and maybe right. like, how he didn't feel worthy of going to a John Lennon party you so know, it's yeah. just like
1: a different entryway into yeah, yeah, understanding yeah, yeah. something yeah. about Dylan yeah that's kind of cool Take that. All right. So you are, have written about tours, and you've written about obviously the Dead tours. So, what is your favorite Dylan memory or Dylan show, and why?
0: Um,
1: it can be both. It could be either.
0: No. <laughs> um, no. I. Uh, well. Yeah. So you know, seeing Dylan in the '70s was amazing. I, I saw that. I saw the Rolling Thunder View, and I saw him in '78. And then, yes. <laughs> uh, and um, so those were you know you know you had to be there as, as gentlemen, I to say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a story I told uh, not that long ago, but um my, the absolutely the funniest moment I ever saw was uh, yeah. Dylan and Petty and the Heartbreakers and the Queens of Rhythm, 1986. I think it's New Haven, Connecticut. See the New Haven. Or um, and, uh, the show I'd seen, I just saw the show at, uh, Great Woods in Mansfield, Massachusetts. And then, um, uh, you know, the show is, you know, similar, mm-hmm. um, a couple of changes maybe here and there. And, um, and in the middle of the encore, uh, Dylan starts playing Lay Lady Lay, which they clearly had not rehearsed. And, uh, it's not uh, you know, a difficult song to play, but it's not a, uh, it's not a normal chord progression. Then progression. Dylan seems to be just facing forward and doesn't care if anyone's joining in or can see what he's doing. So Mike Campbell is trying to watch his hands, holds his guitar up so the rest of the band can see the chords. And he starts, uh, you know, he just does the song and everyone looks nervous and the Queens of Rhythm look really nervous and because uh, not only is he not rehearsing, but he's changing the words on the fly. And, uh, you know, it was it was so exciting because he didn't know what was gonna happen next. And it was it was out of the blue and it was mm-hmm. uh, yeah, literally a once in a lifetime thing. And at the end, you know, Dylan just, you know, shoved, shoved uh, Tom Petty aside, like, hi, hey, I played this joke on you. And well, yeah, yeah, and it was the type of thing that he could, um you know, you know, it, it's, you know, the, as much as the music, the thing about the Petty Dylan tour is that Dylan was, was just so funny. He was just doing things that were, you know, you know just kind of telling jokes or mm-hmm. not jokes, but it just funny little asides. Um, you know, not that I particularly saw this show, uh, but I remember he was saying that, um, you know, people tell me, said, before, the, before the acoustic part, you do a solo acoustic part, mm-hmm. and he'd say, you know, people say I, I parody myself. It's like, well, who else am I gonna party? Something like that. Or <laughs> right, you know, it's like you know, people say I can't sing, it's not I just never learned how to play turn my guitar. You know, just like all these things. Yeah. And um uh, you know, it it, it was, you know, it was a very lighthearted. you can tell he was he's starting to enjoy playing live again.
1: Yeah. That's you know, those are the moments that we need to chronicle. And I'll go back to Paul Williams who says like those moments that you know, when the inevitable mm. and unthinkable, to quote Nina Goss, mm. happens and mm. he either stops touring or he di- he's going to die. Mm. Um, no. We, no, <laughs> no, Um but it is, and we think about that, and we are the generation that, I mean, you more than me, and then there are some folks here who are younger, but we've seen him live, yeah. and it's, you know, it, it is like being in Beethoven's time or watching Shakespeare and I'm not exaggerating when I say that right. that we are you know sort of as torchbearers to communicate that We can and thankfully there are a bunch of people who um, bootleg, so we yeah. can hear those performances. But you know that's we need to kind of make sure people understand those stories. He duck walked once in Houston and we were just, we all lost our minds, <laughs> you know? And then he, we were so used to him not talking to us right, too, right, right. that when he did, we are like, what just happened? <laughs> and then he was funny and it yeah. was just, so those things kind of, those need to be preserved. And, you know, I'm glad that we're able to do that. Um, all right, so Dylan, um, as a writer, mm-hmm. um, so Dylan has often asserted about his songs and about songs in general, that they're not meant to be simply read or exclusively read. Uh, he said that in his Nobel lecture and most recently, Philosophy of Modern Song, that great um, bit about Lenny Bruce. Since you've seen so many live perso- performances and you've written about them, uh, will you share your thoughts on the dynamic between the words and the music and performance?
0: Sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, what's well, interesting, um, after hearing uh, one of the presentations about it from Laura Tentrick, mm-hmm. um who doesn't understand why skinny ties are an issue, <laughs> um, the uh, uh, yeah, it's it, it's powerful. It's you know, it's kind of like falling in love or something. It's like it's a package deal. It's like you don't say, well, I like this this part of this person, and you know, it's like it, it, it's it's. Yeah, it's the whole deal. You you are experiencing something on the stage, uh, preferably, you can obviously watch a video, but especially in person, it's happening in front of you, and even now, when you kind of know what's happening next, you don't really know what's happening next, Mm -hmm. and you don't know how he's going to phrase, you don't know if he's going to do something, is he going to lean against the piano, is he going to stand up, is he going to pull out a Grateful Dead song, is he gonna, mm-hmm. you know, do something, and, um, um, but while I'm on that subject, it's like, people who talk about the, you know, well, it's a static set list. it's like, you know, uh, you know, they want to be the one that sees the Grateful Dead song or whatever, and it's like, it's more like a coolness factor than experience what it is. Uh, during the early days of the, Never End tour, it was cheaper, <laughs> I had people who lived in New York and New Jersey, mm-hmm. and then, you know, I could uh, easily travel. It wouldn't cost a lot of money, and I work for a record store, so I sometimes I get tickets for free, and I can go to a bunch of shows, and they are all different, and and that was one thing. Now, usually, if he's in the area, uh, if I, usually it's Boston and Providence. He plays a theater, and I try to, and I do go to both of them. Um, I hopefully don't sound like a snob, but if I'm not the last time I was not up in front was when he's it was at the gas arena and he was with um Jack White's other band um I can't remember what they're called not the White Stripes but right. uh, not Dead Weather um the Rock on Tours Rock on Tours there's a podcast called Rock on Tours right but anyway uh so uh, and people were just talking the and whole time I was also time. at a loss <laughs> right <laughs> like, like people were talking the whole time yeah and it's uh, and like in, it's just you know you could it's like i don't know why they went i mean i know know why they went but it wasn't for the same reasons i went right i want to connect with the music right and i remember like going and going back to seeing dylan and the band we had binoculars Mm -hmm. and i did it a couple times just Mm -hmm. to know what it was like but i didn't want anything between me and what was going on even though it was you know know, football field away right Right. um uh, i just want to experience what it is and uh you know if it's something like you know dylan in the dead and i got bad seats, i'm just glad i'm inside or it's outside but i'm glad i'm inside the gates right but uh but these days if he's in a theater like i i i I'm like that and again you know i'm pretentious i'm saying but no. it's like i'm not doing it because i want to be the cool person in the fourth row it's just like i don't want to be distracted by anybody
1: well nina said nina goss uh-huh. again uh, once you are in the first row, mm-hmm. it's very much like first class. Once you are first class, you can't even she said even the second row won't do. Right. Like you want to be up front right. um, and, and have that experience and have that connection. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is like being in the same space with all the people and hopefully they're having a similar experience or having some sort of shared experience from that energy, but also with him and watching him do what he does and does he change phrasing? Does he right. change lyrics? Like right. that's to me the
0: best part. I remember I came to Avalon and sweat was dripping down his nose (laughs) and it was like you know Uh it's not a a major statement or anything but uh, it's like I remember it.
1: Yeah of course it's you know locked in there.
0: Or maybe it was tears based on some people's uh, interpretation of what he does on stage.
1: It could be. All right so we were just uh, we were um, on a panel with Court Carney and Jeff Fallis that reconsiders Dylan's work in the 80s in mm-hmm. context of his career up to this point. Mm-hmm. And I won't say his entire career because mm-hmm. we want more from him. Right. Um, and so without giving too much of our panel discussions away, why should we reconsider and or recontextualize Dylan's work in the 80s?
0: Um, uh, you could say that about any part of his career too, but um, mm-hmm. as, as um, people who, it's one of those things that it does have a bad reputation or to, to among, among the uneducated <laughs> the unenlightened um, the, it's because there's a, there's a lot of good stuff there um, Say so in the 80s I worked in a record store and I got all these stuff all this, ordered all the stuff or CDs and I started with records and then CDs and, um, and there all these you get to hear all the stuff and the Dylan stuff was still probably the most interesting out of all of it um, I go home and listen to it um, over and over again. And, yeah, you know, seems like a lot of it just seems also like clickbait, too. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Down the Groove sucks, read all about it. Right. And as, I, and, uh, as um, you know, I, I've been filling in the holes in my collection on vinyl. I've had, you know, obviously different formats. And uh, so I bought Down the Groove and I put it on. I hadn't heard it all the way through probably since not that long after it came out. It's that
1: one you revisited quite a bit. Right, right. Yeah.
0: Um, and uh, so I listened to it, and I, you know, I thought it was basically, you know, a really good album. I, I thought it would. I, I think he purposely did things so it would not do. This is not the first time he's done this, but he could have put Silvio as the opening track, right? And it could have. And I think if he made it more like, if he just changed the song order, mm-hmm. so it made more uh, thematic, more thematic flow. It would have been better but I think they were just out to get on after a while after live age all bets were off you know yeah of uh, course. or after the gospel years or whatever it's like you know hey he's a husband, as we know we, as
1: we, um... we were talking about but you had made the point which I thought was was quite lovely in our panel that you know what highway 61 sounds like you, you mean you 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 thought about it and it's something that sort of you've internalized but you made the point that down in the groove is something that you would return to yeah, to try I, to figure it out because there's still questions.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know it as well. I mean, I mean, if I went of course I listened to the cutting edge
1: right.
0: uh, thing, the six CD version, I listened three times in a row, and then I got a copy of the 18 CD thing and I listened to that once, and um, and then sampled it for a while, and then moved on to the next bootleg series, whatever it was. Um, but yeah, it's like okay, well, I know Highway 61. If I, I like, I remember in a car with somebody else, and they had a playlist, and uh, you know, the song Highway 61. Came out like wow, that's awesome, you know, to hear it like as a surprise. But to go over and play it, it's like when there's so many other things to listen to, right? Like down the groove. It's like, like, I bought down the groove, Dylan the Dead on vinyl, because I've been to you, and World Gone Wrong all over the last few months.
1: And you're gonna write about them now?
0: You want me to, of course. (laughs) Um, uh, well, uh, but, you know, writing about Bob Dylan's money-losing proposition, <laughs> um, I, I do it for fun, I don't, in case anyone thinks I make any money out of it. Um, then I come here and spend $1,000 for the privilege of going to the Bob Dylan's, uh, Agreed. you know, and I, I that's fine, no one, no one made me go, I want to go. Uh, and I, none of this is complaining, it's all done lightheartedly, folks. So we
1: signed up for this.
0: Right, right. And... Um, and you don't know, have any great time, and mm-hmm. yeah, this is the, this is a great way to, uh, this is the last thing we're doing. Yes, it is. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I would, um, a, lot, in a lot of times, if I'm just sitting at home, and I will have YouTube on my, you know, TV thing, mm-hmm. and I'll go on YouTube, and I'll just listen to, there's an outtake from Down the Groove, which is a, a version of uh, God Love If You Want It, which I love. It was supposed to be on there, and then they cut it probably because wanted them to cut something so you cut my favorite song <laughs> and um uh and that there's um a 1970 version of, of um if you see or say hello which is just mm-hmm. it you know, could have been on street legal right. um just you know it's, uh, i'm drawing a blank now but stuff oh yeah, the song stopped now a lot of stuff from that era um right. i just go to it as a song every once in a while i mean it's like you know uh but as much as I love vinyl, that, and I love the ritual and all that, you just have to be in the right room and, you know, and all that. So um, uh, yeah, but I'd rather. But also, also, you have to be in the mood too. I remember, right. I remember when uh, Dylan was touring with Petty and Knocked Out Loaded was coming out, and I wasn't. The vinyl those days, the vinyl, the CD production was slower. Mm-hmm. So right. Knocked Out Loaded came out like the day before I was going to see Tom Petty. So why I have to listen to it. Usually, I don't listen to anybody I'm going to see because I want it to sound fresh. But you want to know the new album, so I, I studied as best I could one night, knocked out, loaded. And I went to see him, and he didn't do any of <laughs> the songs on it. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> but um, yeah, and uh, I mean, I like I like. Um, you want to ramble? Everyone talks about a Brownsville Girl, and like, right. but uh, all aside too, um, and even you know another thing too, is that uh, you, you look at stuff okay, and then someone made fun of it at, at the conference. Like um, they killed him which, um, uh, with the child chorus, right. Oh, that that was Jim. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, which is of course, you know, I can't say I I had a different opinion when I first heard it, but of course I, after a while I I think of it, it's like, well, are we, no offense Jim, but are we so cynical that children singing about Martin Luther King and Jesus Christ is a terrible thing you know what I mean? Right. I mean it's, you know, it's not a skinny tie, but you know, it's um That's it's, fair. you know, it's you know, I don't go to it. Uh but I wouldn't if I well I, I rarely would get up and skip anything on any record ever. No. But um uh you know, it's there there is but again it's it's you know, it's that weird bob zone that you just say you know, what is going on and what is it thought again what is he thinking what is the thought process but you know he and I'm not sure where he was in uh, uh, with his family and how old the kids were right. or whatever. but you know he's you know it's, it's his friend Chris Christopherson right and um, it, he's there and he's um, uh, singing about heroes with a children's chorus and it's like okay it's not you know manchester 66 like a rolling stone but and but he as he says i've already done that right and he he decided to do it it's like, okay well why it's like well again when you think about it it's like well it's a very nice thing to do
1: there's still value in yeah. figuring out what he's trying to maybe do or accomplish as an artist in that period so i'm gonna ask you so tell us about your book friends and other strangers bob dylan examined okay uh well from
0: 2009 to 2009 Fifteen, I was writing online something called Bob Dylan Examiner, mm-hmm. and uh, it, then it went out of business. Uh, so I, I saved as many of the articles as I could and um, a friend of mine uh, was the Doors Examiner and he had a publisher for his, uh, it wasn't his writings, but about the Doors and other things. His name is Jim Cherry. And I said, do you think they would publish a book on Dylan? And he said, sure. It all worked out. Um, uh, t- had to think of a theme, so we thought about uh, you know, people. You know, just uh, so I think it, I think it's about 120 people, ranging from musicians to politicians to mm-hmm. a kid who got his it was, got his harmonica from the stage. Um, cool. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I just had uh, just had the time and energy to do all that. So anyway, I compiled that into a book, and it's something that uh, you know it's whole hundreds of copies, which is think, which is pretty good considering you can't get it in the store. You have to order it. Yeah. And, um, and although I'm going to talk to that magic light story. You things. should. Yeah, oh, I gave it my card. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. For sure. In the center too. So, um, I was going to
1: say, put it in the center.
0: No, well, I can put it in the center. You <laughs> to put it in the center. Yeah, so, uh, but, you know, uh, I'll, when I get home.
1: All right, fair point. Um, so what are you currently working on?
0: I'm working, actually, just getting back up to speed. <laughs> um, I, uh, you yeah, know, I haven't done, you know, the things I've done lately uh, were um, things that I got to do um, interview Dag Brathen. You know who he is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's like he kept on whenever I needed information, he gave it to me. And I figured before uh, Ray Pageant gets to him, I'm going (laughs) to interview him. All right. (laughs) And uh, I interview the the Dylan book, the Dylan any Dylan album. You know, I I write about that. But other than that, I've been kind of taking it easy. I'm trying to, uh, um, you know, get back on track. Uh, I don't say it's not something I do for fun. So I do it when it's fun. Okay,
1: that's fair. Uh, so, what other music do you listen to and how does that music relate to Dylan? And you've talked a little bit about that, but how does it all kind of, if, if Dylan is maybe a center point or, you know, how does that all relate to Dylan?
0: Um, well, these days, uh, how does it relate to Dylan? Well, Dylan's a pretty high bar. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, yes. uh, and again, I started, when you start listening to the Beatles when you're five, and my father loved classical music, um, you had that sort of. Uh, uh, you realize what music can be, mm-hmm. and um, so. But there's either there there's for the past twenty years because it, it, probably eighty percent of it has been Beatles related, Dylan related, or Robin Hitchcock related, and um, then the rest is miscellaneous. Although very very recently, my son he signed on to YouTube uh, something music, and um, it's like a streaming service and. So what I've been doing is making playlists of stuff that I basically have on singles in the basement. <laughs> and That's lot of, cool. And like what, and also, what kind of things? Well, a lot of things that are, um, I probably shouldn't mention the names, but it's like, it's like well, this is, things that I, I probably didn't even get at the time, but now they'd be politically correct. I'm going to put those on the list and I have a playlist of things that are... You know, I listen to my hit, you know, earbuds and no one knows what I'm doing. All right. It's subversive. <laughs> <laughs> but I want you if I they'll cancel me if I give you any titles. We don't want hear. we don't uh, want
1: anyone uh, to cancel you. You're delightful. Yeah. All right, so this might be my last question because I don't want to run out of time and mm-hmm. I want to have enough time to close it out. But um, what are do, is there any particular Dylan albums that affect you differently over the years, or there's something that you listen to? I will give a quick example. Um, and the fall my grandmother was ill, and I would drive home the hour from taking care of her to my home, I listened to every version of "Not Dark Yet," just Dark oh, yeah, yeah, as yeah, sort yeah, of like a yeah, catharsis yeah. for yeah. the anxiety that I felt yeah. and whatnot, and it was really, really meaningful. Um, sometimes I listen to podcasts. I told Rob Kelly yesterday yeah. that I did. I mean, I, and, and you know yourself, and so there's just, but that that song was really meaningful to me in that emotional moment, and I'm wondering. Are there any that you connect with or any that you look back on now and look differently, sort of like he's looking back at the Scripto lyrics mm. as Laura told us? But I would love to know about that.
0: Well, I, the, the thing that comes to mind is something that happened a while ago. I can pretty much pinpoint what made me think I could write about Dylan by revisiting one of his albums, which was Street Legal, which baffled me when it came out. I wasn't even, I was not yet 20. This, the, and I didn't think it was bad. I just didn't get it. Then in 81, I got uh, the second volume of Michael Gray's song and dance man mm-hmm. and uh, I just found out and that there's gonna they're gonna reissue it as a three-part thing the the most recent volume and uh, and he said you know street Legal's the second best villainello in the 70s and just the, just like he had nice things to say about self-portrait which I just heard was a joke right and so I, um, I he he made me open my mind to what things could be so I used him as a blueprint of what to think about music and then I came up with my own uh, my own opinions, obviously. Sometimes mm-hmm. I disagree with him, um, but I, just, I always find that whatever he says sticks in my head, even if right. I, disagree with, I disagree with him. But I'd say that the, the moment I thought that I could do this was when he talked about Street Legal in the first song, they say, uh, where the stitches are still mending, and the last song says, remind me to show you the scars. And I thought, it's all like a puzzle, and I want to figure out the puzzle.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. Is there anything you else you'd like to add, Harold, before we close out?
0: um no uh <laughs> yes peace love um uh yeah everyone love each other there's uh everyone that's what uh george harrison said um yeah uh just me everyone just be nice to each other
1: that is the basic rule in my classroom I'm like just be nice yeah it's it's tough enough out there just can't we just be nice to each other You're right here right, yeah um I've enjoyed getting to know you a little bit more at this conference, working with you on the panel, and I'm so grateful that you sat down with me today. Um, I'm gonna close out now. So I'll let you have the absolute last word. I'll say goodbye and let Harold say whatever he'd like to say, even if it's be kind again.
0: Uh, uh, Well, I wanna thank you, Erin. I I won't go through it here, but offline, very, very nice and generous things. And um, that, meant, that meant that meant a lot to me and uh, my family. And um,
1: it was my pleasure and, and privilege.
0: Yeah, So, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Fuck cancer. That's what I say.
1: I'm gonna high five him on that. <laughs> All right, we're signing off.
0: Thank you for listening to the Dylan
1: Tons podcast. Be sure to subscribe to have the Dillentons sent directly to your inbox and share the Dillentons on social media.